continuing season two of Christianity Without the Baggage, a safe and welcoming space for a fresh, uplifting perspective on the Christian faith. This is your host, Paul Neal. Here we dive deep into its essence, stripping away cultural norms, doctrinal debates, and divisive issues that often weigh us down. We focus on the love, grace, and transformative power that are in the heart of Christianity. We explore questions, share experiences, and journey together towards a liberating and inclusive understanding of a God of infinite love that was revealed by Jesus Christ. Remember, your spiritual journey is your own. Let's make it a beautiful one. Inspired by the words of the Christ who told us to lay down our burdens and come to the one who would give us rest. Here in episode 15, we are going to explore how all of us in the family we call humanity are of such infinite worth in God's sight. Hopefully, we can dispel this woefully transactional notion that we are so unworthy once and for all. In episode 2, I related to you the personally crushing story of the loss of our firstborn child, Noel, due to a brain aneurysm at the age of 35 in November of 2016. Noel was fondly called Auntie Welly by our grandson, Frederick, who was right there by his side with his mama Nicole after she gave birth to him back in 1999. They were in the Philippines at the time as Lee and I worked tirelessly on our Canadian immigration papers to bring all of them to Richmond, British Columbia, where we lived and worked. Frederick, or Bud as we called him in the family, was very close to his auntie Welly. And even when she moved to California to get married to Josh and eventually start raising a family there, they kept in touch. I used to call Noel the fastest like in the West. No sooner did you post anything on Facebook, she was always the first to give it a thumbs up. That was a time before they added the other icons. I'm sure she would not hesitate to hit that heart icon if that was available then. Noel always kept in touch with her family and friends in different parts of the world through Facebook. To say that she was everybody's buddy is an understatement. Just recalling this right now is especially bittersweet. I don't think a day goes by that Lee and I don't miss her terribly. Thank God for the blessed hope we have in Christ. A few weeks before she passed, we were visiting her and her family at their home in Elk Grove when she broke the news to us that Bud and his girlfriend were going to have a baby. I was just 42 when Bud was born and now Lee and I were going to become great-grandparents. What a blessing to see six generations, including my parents and grandparents, in your lifetime. The Lord willing, maybe a seventh before we go back to God. So on June of 2017, our great-granddaughter Hazel Noel Susan Neal was born. Our daughter, Nicole Davis, and her husband, Mike, also welcomed the son, Jax, earlier that year, and another son, Crosby, in 2020. We celebrated Hazel's sixth birthday last week, and to see her playing with her two young uncles was just more precious than you could imagine. 
when they and our other grandchildren were born, Lee and I loved them unconditionally, not because of anything that they had done, but because they were our progeny. In our eyes, they deserved to be loved and deserved all the blessings we could afford to bestow upon them. They are family. That's why I cannot understand all these feelings of unworthiness that clerics over the centuries have heaped upon us. On one hand, they tell us that God loves us, but we are all miserable wretches who are objects of His wrath. A television preacher whose name escapes me right now once bellowed, Do you know how much God loves you? As much as He loves His Son. But that same preacher also believed and thought that if you didn't ask for forgiveness, that same God who loved you would damn you forever. Even though I forgot his name, I never forgot what he said. Do you know why? Because I used that line many times in my own sermons over the years. The late agnostic comic George Carlin had a famous sketch where he would tell you all the terrible things God would do to you. And then his punchline would be, but he loves you. In this transactional view of salvation that I covered in episode 8, unless you prayed that sinner's prayer, you would not be a recipient of that love, that amazing grace, as the most famous hymn of all time declares, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wait a minute. If I can love my children, grandchildren, and now my great-grandchild simply because they are family, cannot the same in an infinite sense be said of God who created all of us in the divine image? In fact, Jesus said that the life he gave us was of such magnitude of worth that even if we were to have everything this mortal world had to offer, that would not hold a candle to what we have. We have the very image of God from God and partaking of the very Spirit of God, a member of the divine family. And you know what? The adversary, who we have personified as the Satan, has done everything to convince humanity otherwise. When we look at ourselves as unworthy of the love of God unless we do this or do that, the endless, unbounding, deep affection that God has for us is cheapened into nothing but a transaction. The Eternal One is likewise reduced to a wrathful, angry deity that has to be assuaged and satisfied constantly for us to be in His good graces. When we live our lives in this transactional state, is it any wonder that we don't see the very same divine image in others? This is how it has been for millennia. Humanity has not looked upon each other as bearing this image. Religion has been by and large tribal and seeks to exclude others not of their tribe. If their lives are lost, it is of no real matter. To this day, there are those who deny the Holocaust, which claim the lives of over 8 million Jews, as well as others of different sexual orientation, ever happened. As Father Richard Rohr, a German-American, has said, This happened in his ancestral country, where almost everyone else was either a Catholic or a Lutheran, a country where there are probably more Christian churches and educational institutions than any other country in Europe. 
Now, this is not to pin blame on any one country or people, for we are all complicit in this grievous sin of exclusion. If we're being honest, tell me, how do we in the West feel when thousands perish in wars or famine in a third world country as opposed to a dozen or more dying here? I read the comment of a Christian sister, and yes, despite her exclusionist views, she is still my sister. <laughs> she might not feel the same way about me, though. On Facebook, to a post somebody had shared about the many suffering in hell, she commented, So many are not spending a happy birthday in heaven, obviously referring to those who still greet their dearly departed on Facebook on their birthday. But Jesus, who revealed the very heart of God when he walked this earth as one of us, excluded no one. He saw the imago dei, or the image of God, in every single person he met. No one was unworthy of God's love, grace, and compassion. Even the outcasts of society who were shunned by his fellow Jews, like lepers, prostitutes, and tax collectors, even the very Roman soldiers who crucified him. The foundational principle in Christianity is the belief that humanity is made in the image and likeness of God. This belief, reflected in the compassionate teachings of Jesus Christ, brings forth the notion of an inherent dignity and value within every human being. For Jesus, every person he encountered was a reflection of God's creative design, regardless of their past or present circumstances. Consider the story of the woman at the well, John chapter 4, verse 1 to 26. Here was a Samaritan woman, an outcast in her society, shunned for her multiple marriages. Yet when Jesus met her, he did not see a pariah. Instead, he saw a woman of worth, deserving of God's love. He offered her the living water, the gift of eternal life, affirming her innate value as a child of God. Jesus' message wasn't just about recognizing the divine image in everyone. It was also about expressing boundless grace and unmerited love, the kind of love that extends beyond human understanding, reaching out to everyone without precondition. A prime example is the story of Zacchaeus in the Bible, Luke chapter 19, 1-10. Zacchaeus was a wealthy tax collector, a profession despised by many for its association with corruption and greed. Yet when Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he did not see a sinner to be condemned, but a child of God. He invited himself to Zacchaeus' house, a gesture that astonished the crowd. In their eyes, Zacchaeus was undeserving of such grace. Yet Jesus saw in him an inherent worthiness of God's love. And indeed, this act of love led Zacchaeus to repentance and a transformative change. What comes to mind? When you hear the word repentance, there's the archetypal cartoon of a bearded man in a robe roaming the streets with a sign that says, Repent, for the end is near. So for many, the word repent means falling on your knees and begging God for forgiveness. Because if you don't, you are going to be punished severely for your sins. Again, a dualistic transactional response. But the biblical word for repentance literally means to change one's mind. It's transformative, not reformative. And that's exactly what happened to Zacchaeus the tax collector. When confronted by the radical and unconditional love of Christ, he became a changed man. He was not reformed, 
but transformed. As Christians, we need to shed this dualistic and transactional idea of our so-called relationship with God. We need to repent in the true biblical way. As the Apostle Paul said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, 2. When we are transformed by divine love, it is to seek the non-dualistic path for our Lord Jesus Christ was the very embodiment of non-dualistic thinking. We explore a deeper dive into this in episode 14, how a non-dualistic view enriches one's spirit. For us to tread this path is to follow those who have walked and lived this embrace of God's love before us. They are referred to as the mystics. And while this road is not limited to the Christian tradition, again to quote Richard Rohr, if it's true, it's universally true. We will gaze, however, at what Christian mystics have done. So here are some of what they have done that we can put into practice in our daily lives now. Embracing the Divine, a Christian's Guide to Contemplative Practice for Non-Dualistic Insight and Experience. In the complexity of our modern world, dualistic thinking can often feel like the most intuitive way to make sense of the many contrasts we encounter daily. Yet in our quest for spiritual growth and understanding, embracing non-dualistic or contemplative practices can offer profound insight and deep spiritual experience. Following the example of many Christian mystics, we too can engage in practices that guide us towards such divine insight. Number one. Practice silent meditation. Silent meditation is a foundational practice that encourages non-dualistic thinking. It involves calming the mind and resting in the presence of God without striving to analyze or categorize experiences. As St. John of the Cross, a renowned Christian mystic, often referred to the concept of nada or nothing promoting the idea of emptying oneself of all thoughts and distractions to experience God's presence fully. Begin with just a few minutes each day, gradually increasing the time you feel comfortable. Number two, engage in Lectio Divina. This traditional Christian practice involves reading, meditation, prayer, and contemplation. Lectio Divina invites us to listen deeply to Scripture, allowing it to speak to us in a personal and profound way. The key is not to dissect or analyze the text, but to let it resonate within us, leading us to a deeper understanding of God's presence and action in our lives. Number three, explore centering prayer. This form of prayer encourages us to surrender our will and mind to God, fostering a non-dualistic connection. Inspired by the writings of Christian mystics like Thomas Keating, this practice involves choosing a sacred word or phrase and gently returning to it whenever you notice your mind wandering during the prayer time. This repeated surrender helps in nurturing a deeper non-dualistic experience of the divine. Number four, practice mindfulness. Being fully present in the moment is another way to cultivate non-dualistic insight. By focusing our awareness on the here and now, we can move beyond binary thinking and open ourselves to the immediate experience of God in our everyday lives. Brother Lawrence, a 17th century Carmelite monk, 
advocated for practicing the presence of God in the mundanity of everyday life, finding divine connection in the simplest of tasks. Number five, participate in spiritual directional retreats. Engaging with spiritual mentors or attending retreats can provide guidance and space for contemplative practice. These experiences can offer fresh perspectives and nurture our spiritual growth. And number six, integrate contemplation into daily life. Contemplative practice is not limited to specific periods of prayer or meditation. We can cultivate a contemplative attitude in our daily lives, seeing God's action in the world around us and within us. Santa Teresa de Avila, a prominent Christian mystic, encouraged this approach, viewing every aspect of life as a potential pathway to experiencing God. As we engage in these practices, it's essential to remember that the goal of contemplation is not about achieving a certain state or experience, but about opening ourselves to encounter God in a profound, non-dualistic manner. It's about letting go of our preconceived notions and binary thinking to truly experience God's infinite presence and love. Each journey into non-dualistic insight and experience is unique, just as each individual's relationship with God is unique. It may take time and patience, but the journey itself offers rich rewards. A deeper understanding of God, ourselves, and the world around us. Let us embark on this journey guided by the wisdom of the Christian mystics, seeking a non-dualistic connection with the divine. One of my favorite biblical translations is the message by Eugene Peterson. I quoted it in episode 1 to lay the foundational verse for casting our burdens upon Christ. As we end this episode, I would like to use the message again for a few beautiful verses for us to meditate upon and perhaps experience how truly precious all of us are in God's sight. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 17 from the message. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant greeting God with a childlike, What's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is, and we know who we are, Father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with Him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with Him. And to that I say, let's relish the adventure. I'll see you again in episode 16.